2,000 players were dead within a month. In that time, we never received a single message from the outside, much less any kind of resolution to our crisis. I didn't stick around to see it for myself, but tales of the panic that erupted when it finally sank in that there was no escape told of sheer madness and chaos. The crowd wailed and cried and raged. Some even claimed they would destroy the game world, making futile attempts to dig up the cobblestones of the city square. Needless to say, the structures were permanent, immovable pieces of the game environment and the demolition didn't last long. It took several days for full acceptance of the status quo to sink in and new plans to emerge. The players split up into four rough categories. First and largest of those groups at nearly half the game's population were those who chose not to believe Akihiko Kaiba's conditions for release and simply waited for help. Their reasons were painfully understandable. Our bodies were sitting on chairs or beds in real life, living and breathing. Those were our real selves, and what happened here was just temporary. One simple little change of circumstances and we could go back. Not through the logout button in the menu, perhaps, but surely there was something if we just figured out what it was. The other source of hope was that the game's developer, Argus, to say nothing of the government itself, was most certainly making every effort possible to rescue us. If we were simply calm and patient, we would eventually wake up in our beds surrounded by our loving families. We might even be temporary celebrities at school or work. It was not hard to fall into this line of thinking. Part of me was hoping for the same thing. This group of players chose to wait. They stayed within the first city, using their initial allotment of money, measured in a currency known as coal, bit by bit to buy food, cheap lodgings, grouping together in, in loose cliques. Fortunately, the town of Beginnings took up nearly a fifth of the first floor, as large as one of the smaller wards of Tokyo. This meant that there was more than enough capacity for 5,000 players to settle in without feeling cramped. But as time dragged on, there was no sign of help. Every waking moment brought the same scenery outside the window. Not a blue sky, but the gloomy cover of rock and metal looming overhead like a giant lid. Their initial allotment of money wouldn't last forever and the waiters would eventually have to do something. The second group made up about 30%. These 3,000 players decided that cooperation was the best chance of survival. The leader of the group was a manager of one of Japan's biggest websites about online gaming. Under his supervision, players were grouped together into smaller bands, sharing items in coal and trading information about the labyrinths that housed the staircases to the next floor. The leader's group claimed Black Iron Palace, a castle that loomed over the central square of the Town of Beginnings, from which they sent instructions to smaller parties and accumulated supplies. This massive gathering was without proper title for some time, but once they all started wearing the same uniform, the army label stopped being just a cute nickname. 
the third category, of which there were about a thousand people, were the ones who wasted their coal early, didn't feel like braving the monsters in the wilderness, and began to get desperate. Incidentally, in the virtual world of SAO, there are inescapable ur natural urges, hunger, and sleep. It made sense that you needed sleep, regardless of whether the stimuli received are real or virtual. The brain needs to turn off and recharge at some point. When players get tired, they find inns, rent rooms that suit their pocketbooks, and sink into their beds. With enough coal, it's possible to buy a residence in the town of your choice, but it's a monumental task. The hunger was more of a mystery. Though we don't like to imagine it, presumably our real bodies are being kept alive through some means of force feeding. Eating food in SAO doesn't actually fill our bellies in real life. Yet stuffing virtual bread or meat into your face will get rid of the hunger and make you feel sated. You'll have to ask a neurologist to explain how that works. On the other hand, once you start feeling hungry, it'll never go away until you eat. I don't think fasting could actually end in starvation, but it's still a natural urge that is incredibly hard to resist. So every day, players rush into pubs and restaurants run by NPCs, stuffing their bellies with food made of pure data. And that's where the digestive process ends, by the way. No use dwelling on the less pleasant aspects. But enough about that. Most of the players who wasted their initial earnings and started going hungry wound up with no other choice but to join the army. After all, orders were easy to follow if they were the only way you got fed at the end of the day. But even in virtual worlds, there are those whom cooperation is anathema. Ones who resisted joining any groups or got kicked out for causing trouble wound up inhabiting the slums of the Town of Beginnings, living a life of crime. Town interiors were a protected zone where the system prevented players from harming each other, but there were no rules outside of town. Vagabonds teamed up with their own kind, avoiding monsters for the easier and more rewarding prey of unsuspecting adventurers. At least they didn't stoop to killing for the first year. This group of players grew over time until they reached my estimated count of around a thousand. The fourth and final category might as well be titled miscellaneous. Around 500 players who wanted to help conquer the game but didn't want to join the army formed roughly 50 smaller groups known as guilds. They were a positive force in our advancement through the game, using their limited resources more nimbly than the army's massive bureaucracy could manage. There was also the extreme minority of crafters and traders. These two to three hundred players formed guilds of their own, focusing on the skills that would enable them to raise coal and making a living without fighting. The remaining several dozen adventurers, myself included, were the solo players. We were the individualists who chose to act alone rather than join any group, either out of self-interest or because we felt like it was the most effective means of survival. Most of the solos were former beta testers, 
We'd called upon our prior experiences to fly out of the gate at the game's start, but once we were powerful enough to handle monsters and robbers on our own, we found little reason to work with others. On top of that, SAO was a game without magic. An example, easy long-range attacks, which meant that enemies were fairly easy to manage single-handedly, even when they came in groups. With proper skill, a good solo player could earn experience much faster than he could with a group. Not that this was without risks. For example, contracting paralysis while in a party just meant that someone else had to heal you. On your own, it could be a death sentence. The fatality rate among solo players was easily the highest of any category. But with enough knowledge and experience to properly avoid danger, the returns easily outweighed the risks. And we beta testers had an advantage over the others in those categories. As the solos used their knowledge to far outpace the new players, serious friction developed between the two groups. And when the initial chaos eventually settled, the solo players all left the first floor to settle in towns higher up. Within Black Iron Palace was a room formerly known as the Chamber of Resurrection. Since the beta test, a massive metallic epitaph had appeared there etched with the names of all 10,000 players. It had been thoughtfully designed such that when a player died, his or her name was very clearly crossed out, with the time and cause of death printed next to it. It only took three hours for someone to earn the honor of being the first. The cause of death was not monsters, but suicide. The unfortunate victim claimed that due to the structure of the nerve gear, if we simply removed ourselves from the game system, we would automatically leave the program and regain consciousness on the other side. He climbed over the tall railing of the terrace on the south edge of town, the very outer border of Aincrad itself, and threw himself overboard. No matter how hard you peered down, there was never a slightest hint of any land or any other surface beneath Aincrad. Nothing but endless sky and layer upon layer of clouds. With the crowd at the terrace watching, the man's scream grew steadily fainter as he plummeted until he finally disappeared through the cloud layer. Two minutes later, his name was unceremoniously, mercilessly crossed out on the monument. His cause of death fell from a great height. I don't want to think about what he experienced on that fall. Whether he reawoke in the real world or got brain fried as Kaiba claimed was impossible to determine from within the game. But most players agreed that if it were that easy to escape, we'd all have been detached from the outside and rescued by now. Still, there were others here and there who also succumbed to the temptation of such a simple conclusion. It was extremely difficult to fully appreciate the concept of death within SAO. That still hasn't changed. The visual effect of polygons breaking apart when HP reaches zero is just too close to the game over screen, a harmless phenomenon familiar to all gamers. The only way to fully understand death in SAO 
is to experience it for oneself. I have no doubt that the mental distance from our supposed mortality was a major contributing factor to the decline in population. When the army, the other minor guilds, and the weight and sea types clogging the town of beginnings finally started tackling the game itself, we started losing people to the monsters. Experience and instincts are necessary to win battles in SAO. The trick is to not try doing everything on your own. You have to ride the system's automatic support. Take a simple, single-handed uppercut slice. If you've learned the one-handed sword category and upward slice is equipped in your list of sword skills, all you need to do is perform the proper motion and the system will move your body automatically. If you don't have the skill equipped and try to mimic the movements on your own, the result will be so much slower and weaker that there's no point even trying it. In essence, the knack to combat in SAO was a bit like pulling off combos in a fighting game. Those who couldn't get the grasp of the system just swung their swords back and forth lamely, scuffling against even the weakest boars and wolves, enemies that were easily defeated with the most basic of initial skills. And even if your health was dwindling and the fight was proving difficult, there was always the option of disengaging and retreating to avoid death. Except that unlike fighting 2D monsters on a simple TV screen, the incredible realism of SAO's world brought forth a kind of primal fear in its players. In every encounter, you were faced with actual monsters bearing wicked fangs ready to charge and kill. Monsters felt an initial panic when they first experienced the combat of SAO. But that was nothing compared to fighting with the specter of actual death overhead. When the grips of fear took over, players forgot even the most basic of skills or dodges, becoming helpless targets as their hit points were torn from them. Suicide. Defeat in combat. The lines on the epitaph proliferated, unstoppable and uncaring. When the number of dead topped 2,000 in just the first month, the remaining population was plunged into black despair. If that mortality rate continued, we'd all have been dead within half a year. Clearing all hundred floors was just a pipe dream. And the thing about being human is, we learn. After just a month, we had finally conquered the first floor of Aincrad. It took only 10 days for the second to fall, and by then the death rate was plummeting. As survival tips spread throughout the population, people began to realize that as long as they earned experience and gained levels, the monsters weren't so frightening after all. Maybe we can beat this game. Maybe we can get back to the real world. Confidence and optimism dared to peek their heads out once again. The top floor of Aincrad was impossibly far away, but that hope was enough to jumpstart us into motion. The world began ticking away again. It's been two years. There are 26 floors left to conquer and 6,000 survivors. Such is the present state of Aincrad.